Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Hey everyone, so nice to see you all. Go ahead and turn to uh, James, the book of James in the New Testament. James chapter 2 is where we're at here. And uh, as you're turning there, I don't know if you've heard about the two friends that were talking about their churches, like folks do, you know, that walk together and out in public together and are old friends from high school together and stuff like that. There were two friends that were talking about things and they started talking about their pastors and the one went on and on to the other about all that his pastor had accomplished. I mean he said things like he's really whipped us into shape. We're more organized than we've ever been. He's really called us out to come more, to give more, to serve more. My goodness things are happening. His preaching is powerful. We see new people coming into the church all the time and I mean the kind of people that can really help our church be a success. My pastor promised results, and my goodness, has he delivered. Isn't that impressive? Well, it was impressive. But the one friend was a little concerned because he felt like something was missing as that list went on. So he asked a question to his friend to clarify things, and he said, That was an impressive list you just came, you just gave there. But let me ask you one question. Would you you describe your pastor as being a loving man? And the other friend paused for a long time and you could see the wheels turning inside his head and he was thinking about everything he knew. And uh, he kind of bowed his head a little bit and he said, no, I wouldn't say that. So all those other great things were going on, but he wouldn't describe them as a loving man. Well, this is the next message in a series we've been doing in the book of James. If you're just joining us, we've gone through chapter one and we're in chapter two now. And uh, Pastor James was writing to his church members They had all been together at Jerusalem. And then when Stephen was martyred, there was a persecution of the saints that led those saints to be cast out. Many of them hadn't intended on staying as long in Jerusalem as they had. They had come for the Feast of Pentecost. They'd uh, been saved and they had stayed around. Uh, And so the church in Jerusalem had several thousand out of the gate. But then when this persecution came, they went back to their cities all over the Roman Empire. So if you ever read Acts 1, you hear all the places that they were from, and it fills the map of the Roman Empire. And they went back to those places. And those places, most of them, hardly any of them, had what you would call a church yet. Um, And so they had all this wonderful experience from back in Jerusalem. Pastor James was writing knowing that as they met other people, they'd stop and copy the little letter that he'd given that wound up being a book of the New Testament, and they'd pass it along, and they'd pass it along, and they'd pass it along, and he'd be able to provide pastoral input to all his people that were scattered. He writes to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. He knew that they'd get this to them where they were scattered, and he'd be able to instruct them more as a pastor. And so... Sometimes I think about that, you know, uh, what if you just had five chapters to tell God's people all that you wanted to tell them as they were out there living out there in the world? 
Uh, what if you only had a few messages to do that, a few pages of paper to do that? That's what James does as the key pastor leader of the church in Jerusalem, also referred to as an apostle. He was the half-brother of Jesus. And so he's been talking to them about pure religion, pure faith in the Lord and what that looks like. And he continues that today. He's been challenging them and us to think about the scorecard. Now, he doesn't use that word, but I'm going to use that word. We all use scorecards to show what we value, right? Uh, he's challenging them to think about the scorecard we use to evaluate how we and our churches are doing in living out the Christian faith. And today he's going to see him, we're going to see him call for us as believers to display what I might call triumphant mercy. Uh, hey, we've got the triumphant quartet coming. And pastor, maybe that influenced me to talk about triumphant mercy. Let's read verses 8 through 17 in chapter 2. James writes, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and you're convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point he or she is guilty of all. For he, for God who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. The second time he's used that glorious phrase, the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We could stop there, but I added in the next few verses because these verses, these passages overlap. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Of course, we'll talk more about that last part next time, but we're going to talk a little bit about that section today with our message on triumphant mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of James and how many ways it just uh, shows what heaven values and what we're to be about, Lord, as believers and doers of the faith, God. Lord, thank you for this wonderful words we have today, these wonderful words on triumphant mercy and how mercy triumphs over grace, uh, over over judgment, Lord God. Lord, we pray that we would all live and act as those that we know are trying to live according to your law of liberty, your royal law to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, be with us as we look at these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I think I said last week how much I love that phrase, the royal law. Jesus is our king, right? He's the king of kings and lord of lords, and he has a royal law. And what James so beautifully calls the royal law is stated both positively and negatively in verses 8 and 9. So let me read verses 8 and 9 again. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So the royal law stated both positively, in other words, what thou shalt do, like the Ten Commandments, thou shalt do this, and negatively, thou shalt not. Stated positively, our king's law is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we remember how Jesus defined neighbor, and that is everyone, right? I mean, everyone we come in contact with, 
uh, is made in God's image and Christ died for them also. So they deserve our, our regard and our uh, reaching out to them in love because they're our neighbor. Stated negatively, our king's law prohibits showing partiality to our neighbors based on appearance. To show discrimination like the example James gave in verses 1 through 4, not only is not loving, it's also sinful behavior. Now, we need to understand that Pastor James is not playing. I mean, uh, I used to watch a lot of high school wrestling when my sons wrestled. And, um, you know, there's a way that a guy gets another guy in an arm lock or something, and he just ratchets it up, and he tightens it and tightens it. And that's kind of what Pastor James is doing to us. Every once in a while we think he'll come and give us a little relief, and then he tightens it up a little bit more to show that our faith is really being practically lived out. Uh, he can almost hear the church members that he's speaking to. He can almost, he's writing to them, so he can almost see them rolling their eyes as they're reading this letter to each other, you know. And uh, he can almost he, feel them getting defensive, like sometimes our flesh gets defensive. Can you hear what's going on in their minds like Pastor James did as he was writing these words? Now, now okay, so here's the person reading the letter, and here's uh, me, right? Some of us. We go... I may prefer being around people just like me, but it's unfair to judge me only by that. I'm a very faithful attender. I'm a tither. I don't commit sexual sins like the heathen do. I've never murdered anyone. I just don't like people who aren't like me. I don't want to be around people that aren't like me. Pastor James, by my count, that's four out of five of the things I'm supposed to do that I'm doing. That's 80%, and most schools pass you if you get an 80 on the test, right? So Pastor James knows that that's how they thought, and my goodness, don't we think like that too. We give ourselves lots of pats on the back for the things we're doing that Christ commanded us, and we, uh, for whatever reason, just naturally comes to us to do. But the things that he taught that we don't like doing, we just say, well, at least I'm doing good on this other stuff. Uh, yeah, Lord, I'm ignoring you in that one, but I'm doing good on this other stuff. And... I think we can see Pastor James, as he was thinking through these responses he'd get, he just was not impressed. He was just not impressed. What Pastor James goes into them, with them reminds me of a rant that my dear wife... Can I tell you about a rant that my dear wife Elizabeth goes on? Okay, so uh, she was a nursing major, right? Now, she was at Bryan. They didn't have a nursing program, so she transferred to Samford. So even though her words apply to me as a Christian education major at Bryan College, who was also a Bible double major, I thought I was, it's so tough all this I'm doing. I'm double majoring in Bible and Christian education. Well, she had ministry majors and Christian recreation. She, she went to school at Sanford, and there were guys doing programs so they could do Christian recreation and stuff. So they'd have classes in kickball while she was thinking about how to save people's lives in a nursing program, right? And so every once in a while, Elizabeth will go back on the rant of jobs where people have to get it 100%. Some of you guys worked at Goodyear, and you had a job, you had to get it right 100% of the time, or somebody might get hurt, right? Uh, well, that never happens to preachery types, you know? Uh, we, can, we can overlook a lot and give ourselves pats on the back for getting most things right, even though we have some howlers along the way. You couldn't do that at the plant, and nurses can't do that when they're measuring out medication that doctors have ordered, uh, etc. Uh, got a guy that runs crew here. You got to get it right, right? Um, if a pastor makes a mistake or two, he just laughs it off. Oh, God's grace, you know? <laughs> but if a nurse makes a mistake, say, in measuring a medication, that could kill somebody. 
And so what Pastor James says next, here's what he's basically saying. It doesn't matter if you're keeping the parts of the faith you like. If you're rejecting the parts of the faith you don't like, you really are kind of rejecting the faith itself. It comes all part and parcel together. Let's look at this in verses 10 and 11. He says, For whoever, and whoever uh, includes... We like whosoever when it includes uh, John 3.16 for us, right? Well, whoever involves us here too. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point, he's guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So James's point here is to knowingly sin against God in any area is to misunderstand the entire faith. Uh, this faith is not a buffet table where we get to pick what we like and reject what we don't like, right? Um, now, that's already very convicting because... Let me be honest with you. I'm not telling you you got to do everything right to get saved and go to heaven. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. But verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of all. Verse 11, he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So it's not that you can choose to uh, uh, not commit adultery but then do go out and murder somebody. You're a transgressor of the law. Why? Because all of God's commands reflect our God's character, Right? All of God's commands reflects our God's character. Any area we fall short of obedience in gives people the wrong idea about our God. Now, the most perfect summary of the law of God and what He expects from us is the Ten Commandments. I believe you can uh, relate every command of God in the Old New Testament back to one of those Ten Commands. Uh, I think that they all relate to one of those Ten Commands. So it is the perfect treasury... And when John Calvin wrote his first uh, uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion, it's, it's short. It's not like the longer one where he kept adding things as he went. The very first thing he talks about, uh, well, one of the first things he talks about is uh, the Ten Commandments and an exposition of those. So Christians have always valued the Ten Commands as kind of the moral law template for all that we need to be about uh, as believers. Um, but, but let's see how they relate to God's character. Now, I should have given on your notes, because you're supposed to give credit to people, right? Josh McDowell did some great teaching on what's behind the individual commands of the Ten Commandments, right? So let's take lying. The command is, you shall not bear false witness. Precept is another word for command. So the precept is, don't bear false witness. But every command of God is based on a principle behind the precept. So the precept is don't lie, but the principle is if we're going to have a relationship with one another, we can't lie to each other, right? Uh, that's why sometimes they call a bank a bank in trust. You trust that what you put in, you can go and get, right? And if I'm going to trust you, truth needs to be the currency of our interactions. If I lie to you or you lie to me, it's going to break trust, right? So the precept is don't lie, but why? because of the principle that you need truth to have good relationships. Um, but there's another layer yet. Precept, principle, and then person, the person of God, the character of God. So precept is don't lie. The principle is we need truth to have relationship with each other. The person of God in that whole thing is that you can count on it. God will never tell you a lie. He will always tell you, not what you may want to hear, but what you need to hear. And so when you think of the sum of His Word and everything in there, you can count on it that you'll be the winner in that deal 
if you repent of what he says to repent of, if you apply what he says to apply. And it all fits together in this beautiful portrait of how wonderful our God is. And so it all relates to his character. So if I claim to be a Christian but am not trustworthy, I give people the wrong idea about God and his word. So James is calling them to remember what Jesus taught, that it's not just enough to not murder someone. Hey, uh, I don't think anybody in this room has murdered someone. Maybe you have, uh, you know, uh, if you count things in. I, I've, had, uh, I've ministered to murderers before in different ways. Um, but... Uh, you need to deal with hate in your heart towards others and any discriminatory attitudes you have for them. So Jesus said, it's not just enough not to commit adultery. I'm telling you, you've already crossed over into sin if you're lusting after a woman or an object that represents the woman, right? Uh, pictures or movies or whatever and stuff. Um, and then he does the same thing with murder. He says, it's not enough just to not murder somebody. I'm telling you, I want to get to the heart thing behind that, Jesus says, that you'd have hate toward another person to deal with it at that level so it never even goes as far as building up to where one person would murder another person or something like that. Now, um, as he says in verse 11, you have become a transgressor of the law. It's not because you did good in other important areas, but you failed in this critical area. We get back to the nursing analogy that from my wife Elizabeth. If the nurse gets a 95% right with the patient, but administered the wrong dosage of medicine and it killed the patient, it doesn't really matter that she got the other stuff right, right? And I love how some of the commentators talking about these riots and looting and stuff have gone on and stuff. And then the mainstream media says they were peaceful protests. Well, protesting is our right as uh, First Amendment and Americans and things like that. But when it crosses over into destruction of property, it doesn't matter if the rest of the day was peaceful if you're creating larceny and, and damage to property there, right? Okay, so now don't misunderstand me. James is not talking about salvation here. Um, he's already mentioned that, faith, that uh, look at, back up in uh, James chapter 1, he's already said that uh, verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So James has already attributed salvation to something God initiated in our life. We responded to, we received that good gift. The verse before that he says, every perfect gift comes from above and the most perfect gift of all is salvation, right? So salvation came to us as a gracious gift from God. We received it as a matter of faith, and of course we didn't do anything to deserve it. He's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about applying our faith to every area of our life. He's still in that be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word discussion that he started with us. He's talking about how every person Christ has saved needs to try and do all that Christ commands with the aid of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So it's very interesting when you think about the law of God. Uh, one of the ways Paul talks about it is that the law shows us if, if we've got a test, right, and the Ten Commandments shows us what's on the test, then, then the law shows us how far short we fall, right? And it shows us our need of a Savior. And Paul gets into a lot about how knowing that we can't measure up means, God, I need you to save me. And so it points out our need. But after we're saved, the same law we can't measure up to becomes the ideal that we strive for. Not to save us, but because we know it's a perfect reflection of the heart of God and we want to see it lived out in our lives, right? So we're not working the things of the law to save us. We're wanting them to be worked out in our lives through our faith so that it blesses our lives and the world. Um, in this sin of area of the sin of partiality, you're not doing as good as you think you are representing the Christian faith if you're doing pretty good at other things but not dealing with the sin of partiality. That's what James is addressing here. 
Now understand that James's words are really humbling here because we could apply them in far more areas than this area of partiality. I mean, he's hitting us pretty hard on it, right? Uh, with that illustration he gave about the poor man coming in in filthy clothes and making sure you treat him as good as you would treat a, a man that could really do something for your church also coming in. He gives that illustration, all the areas of discrimination we might be involved in. But um, there's something bigger going on here because there may be someone here that knows the truth about themselves. Maybe you're doing great at being impartial to others, uh, but your problem is you've got sexual sin in your life. You know, or maybe whatever it is, right? Maybe uh, I know one of my first problems as a Christian was I had been such an exaggerator. You know, kids from broken homes are often exaggerators. I had been such an exaggerator, uh, I wouldn't know the truth if it hit me in the face back in those days as a 17-year-old. And I had to knowingly ask the Holy Spirit and catch myself telling a whopper and then say, well, that's not true. That's not even partly true. You know, Psalm 51 really convicted me, the Holy Spirit. You know what it says there? Teach me to desire truth in my innermost being. And back then, I wouldn't have known how to do, be truthful, you know, and not exaggerate. But ever since, I've been very sensitive to get the facts right, you know, and get, to, get, get, get it right and not exaggerate that the fish was really this big when it was really only this big, you know. <laughs> um, David doesn't need to exaggerate about fishing, man. He did get a whopper. My goodness. How many pounds is that thing? 54. 54. Well, I could tell you a story about catching one that big, but I never caught one that big, you know. So anyway, but uh, so maybe you're okay with being impartial, but you've got sexual sin that needs to deal with, or maybe it's lying or whatever it is. Um, That's what you need to deal with instead of judging other believers. There are so many implications here. Um, Anybody here like to go to Cracker Barrel? (laughs) I love going to Cracker Barrel. Uh, I love cracker barrels, right? These slat barrels. Is that what they call them, slat barrels? So um, it's interesting, the wire bands that are up them, right? And then you can just put those slats in there. Every once in a while, you'll see an old one somewhere, and it'll be mostly useful. (laughs) Seven of the slats are fine, but one slat, and that's why it's on sale at a discount, one of the slats is worth nothing. You'd have to get an all-new slat to put in there, wouldn't you? Now, if you've got an eight-slat cracker barrel, right, you know what I'm talking about, and the bands are there, it doesn't matter if the bands are there. Uh, what matters is that every slat goes up to how high each, each slat goes up to, right? Because if you've got one slat that's one foot and the others are three foots, uh, how much material are you going to be able to hold in that cracker barrel? One foot worth, not three, four, three, three foot worth, right? Where that hole is is only is what you're going to be able to accomplish there, right? And so that's the Christian life. I mean, there are, what, six, eight, ten, twelve different areas when you think about them, you know, and we can think about the different areas of things that we're called to do. And James says, you might have one area really right, but, you know, you're only going to be able to be as effective as that area that's messed up, right? So... With God's help, we want to work on every slat of Christian obedience, even as we thank God for His mercy in the areas that we're more prone to mess up in. This is going to keep us humble. It's going to keep us realizing that we need, uh, you know, daily grace to go along with the grace that saved us. Um, It means we're going to be a little reluctant to judge others because we mess up, they mess up. We want to give them a break. And uh, all of us are trying to improve in every area for a sense of victory in the Christian life and to improve our impact for Christ. But we understand it's not about saving us. It's about uh, 
doing what he's called us to do. Christ saved us despite our inability to measure up. And that's what James emphasizes next. Look at verses 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who's shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What James talks about here is those whom Christ has mercifully set free should be known for showing mercy. Should be known for showing mercy. I love those words. I love the fact he references this law of liberty again like he did in chapter 1. And you know what I also love? Um, what are the earliest two letters of the New Testament that we know of? Not, not any of the Gospels. Mark was a real early Gospel. But um, what are the earliest two letters we think from the New Testament? Let me give you a hint. James is one of them. <laughs> and which one was Paul's earliest letter that he wrote? Probably. Starts with a G. Galatians, yeah. Um, so the earliest two letters that apostles wrote were the apostle James, the pastor elder James of Jerusalem, and Paul writing to the churches of Galatia that he'd won to Christ during that uh, missionary trip, right? And uh, I love how the earliest two letters complement each other so well. Um, turn to Galatians chapter 5. You're going to have to go back to your left a little bit. So James talks about the law of liberty, the law of liberty. And Galatians 5.1, Paul writes, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Look at verse 13. For you, brothers, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So, early letter Paul says the whole law is summed up. Love your neighbor as yourself. He uses the word liberty. James, very early letter, uses the words the law of liberty. And what does he say? What did he say about you love your neighbor as yourself? What did he call it? We've already looked at it today. The royal law, the king's law. Paul says it sums everything up. You've got liberty from Christ. Use it to serve one another. James says it's the royal law, right? The royal law. Pretty cool. So they're in league in saying those things. God saved us despite the fact we don't measure up. Now we know what to shoot for. The law showed me I needed a Savior because I fall short. Now I embrace. The law is what I'm striving for with the Spirit's aid to implement in my life. Since God showed me mercy, what do I want to do toward others? I want to show them mercy, right? The Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. If that's a daily prayer uh, in spirit, it's a prayer that 
I won't have any sin that uh, as, as God helps me identify sin in my life every day, I'll say, God, forgive that. I want to do what you want me to do instead in that area. And let me also forgive those who have trespassed against me. So every day considering our vertical relationship with God, our horizontal relationship uh, with others. All the scriptures come together. There is no division between the Old and New Testament on this. When Jesus said, I give you a new law, they already had the law to love your neighbor as yourself. The new part was, I've given you a perfect example to follow in this. Remember when I was on the cross and said, Father, forgive them? They know not what they do. You've got, there it is, there it is, the new law to love one another as I've loved you. Uh, remember that washing the feet despite the feet being stinky? <laughs> I've given you a command to follow you, do as I do. And so it's so good that way. But you know, the Old Testament said the same. That's the remarkable thing about Jesus' ministry. It was all there in the Old Testament. They had just obscured it with a legalistic, uh, self-focused religion. And he turned it right back around and said, let's get to what this was really for. So Micah 6.8 is a great passage, isn't it? Micah 6.8, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly. What's the next one? Love mercy and to what? Walk humbly with your God. James chapter 2, So speak and so do as those that will be judged by the law of mercy. As far as Micah goes, Think about how that really summarizes all of our aspirations as, believer, as believers. Uh, what does God require of us? To do justly. What does that mean? Anything that He's given as a command, we want to incorporate into our life. We want to do the right thing, knowing that we're not always going to hit it 100%. We're not going to come close even, right? We fall short in lots of ways. But that's our goal. That's our portrait of what it looks like. Do justly. Then love mercy. Cut yourself slack when you fall short. Cut others slack when they fall short, especially because our tendency is to justify our own sins and think of other sins as really bad. And God says, I think it's all bad, you know. I got something for you to shoot for. And love mercy with others. And then, of course, walk humbly with your God. Is there something else we could call that approach? I think James has given us another way to call that whole approach. And he summarized it by calling it pure religion in James 1.27. He said, pure religion before the Father is this, right? To look after widows and orphans, those that need help, and, uh, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And then he continues that discussion in chapter 2 by saying, hey, uh, don't, don't uh, mistreat one who's made in the image of God because you're trying to get this other guy that's more like you to come into things and stuff like that. Um, so... That last section we're going to include with this just because I think he's trying to keep this going in our minds. Next time we'll deal with all the theology related to uh, faith without works is dead. Um, but verses 14 through 17, we see that the pure faith is seen in faith working through love. Getting back to that idea of the scorecard, or the checklist. Um, they're just like us. They wanted to check things off that they've done in their personal faith, right? That's what we like to do. Um, for Jews, it was circumcision. For Christians, it was baptism. Check it off. Regular attendance at synagogue or church. Sins we avoid. We know to avoid because it'd be a scandalous and things like that. Uh, trying to get through life without messing up too bad. You know, checking off, checking off, checking off. Um, a lot like a football team on defense. Known for what we don't do. I don't do what them heathen do. I don't do this that they do. I don't do that that they do. But the whole time we're seeding ground, right? 
Um, and the whole Bible points us to an outward-looking faith, uh, to be on offense for the Lord, right? Uh, before we get into the second part of this uh, and end it up, what did Jesus say? Peter, upon your profession of faith, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. We're so used to an individualized faith that's on the defensive in life, trying not to mess up too bad, that we've even taken that verse and say, oh, what a promise from the Lord. God has put a gates around me, and Satan can't mess with me. Only problem is that's not what Jesus said. Satan and his demons, they're the ones trembling, right? He said, if you get it right, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Satan's got his gates. He doesn't want us coming and going through. He's got people that he's got circled in around the world, unreached people groups. He's got unreached pockets of our own area. He's got people that come in amongst us we tend to overlook, you know. Uh, man, God says, you're sitting there praying for a way to reach out to Hispanics, and every year I bring you people that you could show a little love to, witness to, and maybe give them a free gift card down to Los Mercado or whatever and stuff like that, you know. And some of those guys don't have a personal faith. And every year we get a chance to see them come around and maybe get a chance to talk to them about personal faith somewhere in there. Satan's the one going, man, I hope them Christians don't organize and come toward my gates because I know what happens if they share the gospel. Some people will be saved and I can't have them in hell anymore. Right? Satan's only got two strategies with us. The first one is that when we're lost to keep us from getting saved because once... We're saved. He can't have our soul anymore. And then when we get saved, he immediately changes his strategy. He wants to have you live defeated, discouraged, in despair, so that you don't bring anybody else to heaven with you. So he's got two demon teams. One is to keep people from coming to Christ at all with all the ways that happens. And the other way is to keep them so caught up in despair and, dis and struggle that uh, they never do anything offensively for the Lord. James calls them, here's the point, to also express their faith through loving acts toward others. So he brings up clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, meeting pressing needs. And again, he and Paul were in absolute agreement about that from the very first time they met. Um, in Galatians 2, 6 through 10, they had this meeting in Jerusalem, and Paul sums it up by saying, they only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was already eager to do. And so in chapter 6 of Galatians chapter 5, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. And Paul was still teaching that at the end of the, his ministry. He wrote a letter late in his ministry to Titus. And in Titus 3.14, one of my favorite verses, he says, Titus, I left you in Crete, and here's the final word for the believers there. Let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Boy, I love those words. And that may they continue to be true of both us as individuals. I'm looking at some of the most kind-hearted people out here who regularly do those kind of things for others, and God will bless that. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, as a Tabernacle Church family, we've got ways of doing that too corporately, and Joey gets to have a lot of the fun with that, you know as members call in with somebody they know that has a need and he gets to weigh in on that on your behalf. And so it's so neat uh, to practice that pure religion that takes it beyond trying not to just mess up too bad and not letting Satan get some touchdowns on us. And we say, 
We're going to make the world a better place every day in word and deed. And every chance we get to share that gospel too, we're going to do it because that is faith in action. That is faith working through love. Well, let me pray and then Brother Joey will come and lead us in the prayer meeting portion of our evening. Father, thank you so much for these words from Pastor James, Lord God. And what good things to think about next time we have to think hard about some of the theological implications of the end of chapter 2. But this week we get to think about, again, an appeal from the pastor to not miss the needs around them as they were going throughout the Roman roads back to where they were from. James could really see that if God's people who were dispersed in all those ways would be the hands and feet of Christ as they went, that the gospel would spread and the soil would be prepared for church planners to follow. Lord, I thank you so much for how it all worked out just that way. May it work out again like that in our day, even during these very troublesome times with this pandemic. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Tabernacle Today.